You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. I'm a bit concerned. I'm concerned how we can sit in church every Sunday, Bible study every Monday night. We can study uh, the Bible. We can pray and seek his face. We can function in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can lay hands on the sick and expect them to recover. We can prophesy. We can cast out devils but we still struggle with sin and its deceitful desires. And quite frankly, I'm most concerned that we don't look much different than the unbeliever down the street. And I just wonder how that happens. And I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to myself. I I studied this passage this week for myself. I believe it's because we have lost sight of the need for sanctification. We have played down the danger of conforming to the patterns of this world, and we we forget that we need to intentionally renew our minds in order to be transformed, which is really what sanctification really is all about. We like to say I've been saved by grace, and, and it's not by works, and so I don't need to work for this, and that's all true. And anytime somebody points to dealing with sin, we want to quickly yell, works! When in reality, belief begets behavior. And so if I really believe the word of God, if I really believe what he says, I'm gonna apply that to my life and my behavior is going to reflect what I believe. If I do not reflect that behavior, I must not really believe it. And I'm going to tell you tonight that I believe that we have to be intentional about godliness in this world today. Because we are surrounded by compromise. We are surrounded by ungodliness. Do you know that? And the Bible says, blessed is he who thirsts and hungers after righteousness. For they shall be filled. You say, Rhea, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You absolutely are right. We stand right with God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. We are saved by grace and not by works so that no man can boast. But we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have imputed righteousness, and that righteousness should be flowing out of our life and giving evidence of that fact. And I wonder if that's really happening in our life. Do we understand that as the Bible says, we are dead to sin? Reckon yourself dead to sin. I came across a quote this week. Brandon O'Brien says, what Paul is getting at when he says we're dead to sin is that we have to take active steps in order to stop sinning. The power of sin is broken indeed, which means that we can have success in our striving against sin. Our shackles have been unlocked, but... We have to take the steps to leave the dungeon. In other words, all of our struggles and weaknesses do not vanish when we become Christians. The life of faith will always involve temptation. 
but it will also likely include falling short. But we can struggle knowing the victory is secure in Christ. The same grace that saved us is now the grace that empowers us to walk out what he's called us to do. Do you understand that? He never calls us to do something or live some way that he doesn't indeed give the power to do himself. That's the beauty of grace. You can't even do it yourself. You and I cannot obey in our own strength. So don't call it works. It is a, it is a work of grace as well. But you see, we are so busy pointing the finger to works that we are not even attempting to live in a, in a manner that's pleasing to God. And that should not be, church. You say, well, Rhea, what does this have to do with Psalm 91? This week, I had intended to preach on another snare. I, I told you last week, we talked about the snares, the traps that, that the Bible says in Psalm 91 that God will deliver. Surely, my God will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. And we talked about how a fowler is an expert bait layer. Can I tell you, we have an enemy who is an expert bait layer. He knows exactly the bait that it's going to take to get you trapped. And that's what he endeavors to do every day of our life. And he doesn't grow weary. Can I just promise you that? And so we talked about the snares last week. And, and I told you that this week and the weeks to come that I would talk a little bit more about the different snares because the Bible references so many. Last week we talked about the snare of the fear of man. There are lots of different snares. And I told you I would continue to, to cover them, but I'm not going to. Because this week, as I looked at them, I thought, the snare is not the problem. The snare is all about temptation and what tempts you. Even if I go through step by step the different snares that are listed in the Bible, I may not hit your temptation. And so I've decided instead I'm going to talk to you about temptation. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13, there's Acts and then there's Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So uh, if you get to Romans, it's the next chapter. So 1st Corinthians 10, I just want to read one verse, which is really uh, different for me. 1st Corinthians 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you. And I love uh, one of the versions says has seized you. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. With the temptation, he will also give you a way of escape. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. I want to look at that word seized there. If you look that up in the original language, in the Greek, you will find that the word seized means to lay hold of to lay hold of any person or thing in order to use it. Oh, can I tell you, when the enemy wants to lay hold of you, he brings a temptation, and he's laying hold of you in order to use it to walk out his will for your life instead of the Lord's. It means to take in order to carry away. He has intention to trap you and to carry you away for his own benefit. It means to claim, to procure for oneself. Of that when it's taken is not let go, to seize, to lay hold of, to apprehend. But here's my favorite, to take by craft or catch, used of hunters, fishermen, etc., to circumvent by fraud, one by fraud. I really like to take by craft because 
He's a fowler, <laughs> and he knows exactly what it's going to take to bait you and to get you in his trap. And it's interesting, when you look at that word, it really is a term uh, like, like it's used for fishing. It's a picture of what we do when we go fishing. Any fishermen here? I brought some worms tonight. Now, if I were to bait this, uh, this uh, hook, I'm using a tasty gummy, gummy worm, my favorite, the sour kind. They make me pucker. I really like it. But this is what the enemy does. Come and get it. Tasty. Look at this. Isn't that what we do to a fish? We put what he knows, what we know he likes, and we just let it dangle in front of him, hoping that he'll take the bait. And then what happens? Then the struggle begins, doesn't it? Well, once, you, once he takes that bait, the struggle begins. I love it. I, I so want to learn to go deep sea fishing. Because I, I love that. Just run and then wheel it. I just want that. I want to know how to do that. But the struggle begins. And you see, when Psalm 91 talks about the fowler snare, what we don't understand is once the fowler traps that bird or that animal, hey, the more they struggle against the trap, the further entangled they become. And you and I, when we are tempted and we struggle against that temptation and we try to get free from it, we'll just get deeper entangled. The Bible says that no temptation has seized you but what's common to man. And when you are tempted, he will always give you a way out. But I wonder how many of us really ask him for a way out because sometimes I, I love gummy worms. They're tasty. Sometimes our sin is tasty, is it not? The temptation that the enemy brings. Trust me, he's studied you. He knows exactly what it's going to take to get you to take the bait. He doesn't waste his bait. He knows what it's going to take for you to bait. I, I, I just wonder, uh, the word there is to lure. And so Davey brought me my, his, the fishing rod tonight, and, and I thought this thing that was dangling was a lure. And I said, no, 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 I don't want the lure on there. I want to add a worm. And he said, oh, Rhea, that's a sinker. A what? A bobber. <laughs> he says, these are lures. And I'm like, I got to have those. Because I said, why, why so many different kinds of lures, Dave? And he said, oh, because different, ki different fish are attracted to different types of lures. Mm. So if the worm doesn't work, I like this really bright orange, hairy one. And see how the hook is disguised in there? You can't even see it. And if the orange fuzzy one doesn't work, I really like this green polka dot one. That would attract me. And then here's this boring yellow one that really isn't much fluff, and I would just ignore that one. That would not be a temptation at all for me if I were a fish. But you see, the enemy knows how to lure his way in. Because different fish are attracted to different lures. And you and I, what tempts you may or may not tempt me. But I promise you, he does not give up. He will keep dangling until he gets your attention. If you can turn away from the gummy worm, he will put a bright orange lure. If you can turn away from the bright orange lure, he will put a green polka dot one. Because he understands he'll just keep dangling until you take the bait. And when you take the bait, you're hooked. And he has you. He has you. 
And so it's so important that we learn the power that we have in Christ Jesus, that we no longer need to take that bait, that we can reckon ourselves dead to sin, dead to that temptation. I don't know what tempts you, but I promise you it'll lead you into sin. And and so we have to look at what tempts us, and we have to begin to tell ourselves we are dead to that thing. We do not need to give in to it. We don't need to succumb to it. We don't need to yield to it. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're in 1 Corinthians. Just turn uh, back a couple pages to 2 Corinthians 5. I was eating something when I read this. 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you understand that when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, we talked about the man and how we are a three-part being. We, we, we are a spirit. We have a soul, which is our mind, our will, our emotions, and we live in a body, body, soul, and spirit. And when we become born again, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, what gets born again? You heard me say this a million times. The what? The spirit gets born again. And, and, and what, what needs to be made new because it doesn't get born again? The soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. And so uh, that's why when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, everything is peachy keen, honky-dory, and you really consider yourself dead to sin, and then you realize sin is still alive in you. Or it feels like it has. It's still alive and kicking. How does that work? Because the spirit has been born again, but that soul needs to be renewed. It needs to be made new. It needs to be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but transformed by renewing it in the word of God and the truth. We're a new creation. That old has gone. The old Rhea is gone. The new one is here. Flip over to Ephesians 4. 17, Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their mind, having their, dark, their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Oh, can I tell you that when we walk in the ways of the world, we are alienated from the life of God. I want the life of God. Can I tell you, I lived in the way of the world for so long, and I promise you, it will only bring death. Some of you are sitting here tonight, and you say you're born again. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you are still following the patterns of this world. No wonder you don't have any life in you. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all in cleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness 
and holiness. I want you to see there that, that you put off the old man because it's the old man, the word says, grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. But you put on the new man because that new man is according to righteousness and holiness. But it's a choice. When I get up in the morning, I choose what I'm gonna put on. In fact, sometimes I'll even pick it out the night before because I don't wanna be bothered with it in the morning. So I'll lay it out the night before and I, put, I have a choice what I put on. And he's using that terminology here and he's talking about the Christian and his separation from sin and sinful nature. And we have a choice what we put on, church. And just like if I put on my clothing and they get soiled, I will tell you I hate nothing more. Dave and I were out for lunch the other day and he, we were at uh, Jose's and he spilled uh, salsa down over his shirt and it bothered him so much. He got water and he tried to wipe it off but there was still a big old spot there and I know my husband, I know he wanted to go home and change his clothing. He did not want to parade all around work that day with that soiled shirt on. And can I tell you that when I get soiled, I want clean clothes on. And you and I, when we get up and we put on the new man, when we come to Christ and we put on the new man, the Bible says that we, we, are, we reckon ourselves dead to sin. Does that mean we won't mess up? Absolutely not. But when we do and we get soiled, we need to make a choice to, put, to, to clothe ourselves again, to clothe ourselves with holiness, to clothe ourselves with the mind of Christ, to clothe ourselves with all of those things that are listed in the passages that talk about the new man. I want you to see that the old man is corrupted. I, that really got me because this morning when I woke up, I, I really felt like the Lord was leading me to study this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And I was kind of like, Lord, I don't have time. I need to prepare for tonight. I only have this little bit of time, but I need to prepare for tonight. And, and, and I just really felt like he said, Rhea, you'd make time for me first, and then you worry about your sermon. And so I, I began to study this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about the corruptible must put on incorruption and the mortal must put on immorality and it, it talks about death being swallowed up in victory when that happens and and it's talking about the rapture it's talking about when we when we go to be with Jesus how how the the, the corrupted is going to be swallowed up with incorruption and and that's such a good word but I really believe that the word of God is applicable for here and now as well and so I'm asking myself how does that apply to my life and so I looked up those words and the word corruption there means perishing it means corruptible Here's what I love, that which is liable to corruption. It comes from the root, meaning to corrupt, to destroy, but here's what I want you to see. In the opinion of the Jews, the temple was corrupted. Remember, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple was corrupted or destroyed when anyone defiled or in the slightest degree damaged anything in it, or if its guardians neglected their duties. It also means to lead away a Christian church from that state of knowledge and holiness in which it ought to abide. Can I just tell you, we ought to abide in the knowledge uh, and holiness of God. But, but, but what really struck me is when I looked up the word incorruptible and how you and I have an incorruptible inheritance, how we've been born of an incorruptible seed. And that word incorruptible, it means the kind of corruption referred to is the effect of some outside force upon it. And in the Greek, this word is saying that, that this something cannot be destroyed by an outside force. So stay with me. 
The commentator I read gave an example of rust. He's saying it's like rust, it's like steel being corrupted by rust and, and how you have to put a protective coating over it so that it cannot be corrupted. Well, that just brought something to mind. I have a new Jeep and, and I really like my Jeep and, and I'm worried about the salt on the, the roads. And I said to Dave, I don't want my Jeep rusting. And his truck, which he's very proud of, has a Z-Bart coating. Anybody know what Z-Bart is? It's a rough, it's a rust proofing. And, and so I called him at work today and I said, Davey, tell me about your Z-Bart. And, and, and because I wanted to know about something that would protect from outside sources. And so he began to tell me about it. And, and I went to the Z-Bart website and I want to tell you what I found. The Z-Bart website stresses that careful inspection is the key to success. This, I took this right off the website. You can take the vehicle in and they inspect it and determine the application process that's needed to maximize protection against corrosion. Now remember, we're talking about our man getting corrupted, corroded with sin. They inspect it to look for weak, susceptible areas. Then they apply sealant, but only after removing all the possible contaminants by cleaning the exterior of the vehicle and power washing the undercarriage. This blocks out air, moisture, salt, which prevents the appearance of rust and protects metal from road abrasions. But here's the best thing about the Z-Bart process, is that most rust-protecting sealants only treat the surface of the body, and their formula is able to reach inaccessible areas. Dave told me they drill holes in the door, and they put the, the rust-proofing on the inside panels of the car, at the, the unreachable areas of the car. Uh, the, that's critical for maximum protection. Are you following me? And the website says that their certified technicians have access to the most advanced information. They are familiar with the vehicle specifications and know the critical areas for protection. Oh, I just read that and I had to chuckle out loud because isn't that my God? He is familiar with, with this vehicle and he knows exactly the areas that need the most protection. He knows where I'm vulnerable. He knows what the enemy knows only. He knows it better. And he has given me a seal and he's given me a protection against the corruption of this world. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you that? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But you know what Davey told me? Every year he has to take his truck back in for an inspection. And if he doesn't, the warranty is null and void. I said, well, why do you have to do that, Dave? Because obviously it's still on there. And he said, because sometimes he can be driving down the road and a rock will fly up and it'll chip the rust proof coating. And then the rust can get in there and corrupt. Or he says he might be before wheeling and scratch the truck, the, the coating against something and it'll chip off and, and then it would be susceptible to rust again, to corruption. And so they have to respray it. They have to examine it, look for those weak areas and then respray it. And I thought to myself, isn't that like us? You see, we want to say I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is living within me and I'm honky-dory, peachy keen. But can I tell you what? The Bible says that we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continual process, and that's Psalm 91. We need to put ourselves in the presence of God. Are you putting yourself in the presence of God? Are you sitting in his presence? Because that's where the protection from corrosion will happen. That's where the protection from the traps of the enemy will happen. That's how he'll protect you from the fowler's snare. Because he knows the weakness 
And he doesn't just treat the outside exterior of a, purpose, of a person because you know the Pharisees. The, Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs. You look really honky good on the outside, but, but you're full of dead man's bones on the inside. And church, I'm just going to tell you, that is some of us. We work very hard to be all that in a bag of potato chips on the outside. Look at how super spiritual I am. And we make it about religion instead of understanding. It's about the grace of God that saved us. The Holy Spirit living inside of us now empowering us to say no to sin. I'm not only clean on the ex and the exterior. He has cleansed me inside and I am now sealed with the Holy Spirit. I got some rust proof uh, protection inside of me. I am protected from corruption. Can I just tell you that? But I need to continually get back into his presence and say, Lord, examine my heart, inspect me, see if there's any wicked way in me, see if there's something I'm missing out on, Lord, see if there's a weakness in me that the enemy's going to play up on, and Lord, I just need you to examine me. Are you going before him, sitting in his presence? Are you sitting in his presence? You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Look at this Ephesians 4. I slip over to this whole passage in Ephesians. I, I want you to read this when you go home. He's talking about putting on the new man. And then he tells you what that looks like. Putting away lying. Don't sin in your anger. Don't give place to the devil. Don't steal. Uh, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Uh, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away with you from you. Be kind and tenderhearted to one another. That's what what the new man looks like. But he says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And I've heard people teach on that and say, oh, that sin grieves the Holy Spirit. That word grieve is lupeo. It's the same word that was used for the disciples when they watched Jesus be crucified. It's the pain that they felt in their heart when they watched him be mocked and ridiculed and beaten and crucified. That's the same word that's being used there for don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is <laughs> that you people say, well, our sin does that to God. Well, I believe it, it probably does, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. I don't think God is surprised by my sin. Can I just tell you that? That's what grace is all about. <laughs> grace, grace, and more grace. He lavishes grace. He, when you fall, Rhea, get back up and start again. The grace is there to start again. My mercies are new every morning. But you see, we use that as an excuse to keep sinning. That's why Ephesians, or I'm sorry, that's why Romans chapter 6 needs to follow because it says, so is this a reason because grace abounds should sin abound all the more? Certainly not. Certainly not. We don't have an excuse to keep sinning just because there's grace there. That same grace will empower you to say no to ungodliness. But I want you to see here, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Remember that rust proofing, that, that corruption proofing was the Holy Spirit in us, sealing us. Just like Zebart sealed Dave's truck. But I want you to know that that word sealed is really interesting. In Bible times, kings had a signet ring. It was, it was evidence of their authority. It was their stamp of authority. It, was, it symbolized and represented the king and, and his authority. And, and what would happen is if there was a letter going out or a scroll going out, the king, they would, they would pour wax on this scroll to seal it. And then the king would take his signet ring and, and press it down in and leave the imprint of his signet ring on that scroll. Are you following me? And that, that imprint uh, represented him. It represented his authority. It, it said that this was mine. My, my, this is my imprint as the king. 
It's my image, basically, uh, stamping on that. And so can I tell you that Christ has put his imprint on you and I, his image. And what he's saying is you've been sealed. You have the signet ring of God stamped on you. You have his image stamped on you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now don't go back to behaviors and spend your life living like the old man in your own strength. He's not grieved because we sin and mess up. He's grieved that we don't know who we are. We don't know that we have a new man, that everything we need for life and godliness is in us. We don't understand who we are. We don't know we've been bought with a price and that the old is gone and the new has come. And everything we need to walk out the Christian life is in us. That's what grieves him. The image of the king has been impressed upon your spirit. And we should be walking that out and letting everybody see it in our life. We should look different than the unbeliever down the street. But yet we continue to lug the old man around. Karen, can you get my old man? Is she here? Karen, do you have my old man? I brought my old man for you to see uh, tonight. If, if Karen could just, Karen, are you here? Karen has my old man. Because my old man is gone. <laughs> and the Bible says that I need to reckon myself dead. Thanks, Karen. Isn't she nice? She has pink hair. She looked like me. But, but what we do is the Bible says that we need to put off the old man and put on something new, the characteristics of Christ. But what we do is we say, well, I'll put that on, but can I just lug this thing around too just in case I need it? just in case I want to tap into it, just in case, you know, I kind of like it. It's kind of fun, kind of cute. And so it's, we're weighed down and, and we're burdened because the Bible says throw off everything that hinders, and trust me, this old man, Rhea's old man, trust me, hinders. She is a weight. She, she, she will hinder me every single opportunity she gets. Trust me, I like the pig pen. I lived there for a very long time. I know what it's like to slop in pig poop up to my neck and then crawl home and say to the Lord, I can't even believe you'd let me come back. I'm filthy and covered with pig poop. And, and yet every time his arms are wide open saying, come back, welcome back. Somebody get a robe, somebody get a signet ring, somebody get a new sandals on her feet. And so trust me, sin is tasty for a season. And some of us like it. I'm just going to be honest with you. You have to decide whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the old or serve the new? Are you going to walk in the spirit or are you going to walk in the flesh? But we try to do both. We want this and that. We want to have our cake and eat it too. But God says, if you want to walk in holiness and righteousness, you put off that old man because you need to reckon yourself dead to sin. Look at that scripture. He says, reckon yourself dead to sin. Uh, let's just turn over to that, to that passage. And I've got to find it for you. Uh, Romans 6, 11. So Acts, and then there's Romans 6.11. Acts 6.11, Romans 6.11, likewise, you also, let's back up to 10. Let's back up to 8. 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Can I tell you, you have been freed 
from sin. Your old man was crucified with him. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. So now if we've died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, I want you to look at that word reckoned there. Uh, Webster uh, says the word reckon means to think or suppose something, to believe that something is true or possible. So when he says, reckon yourself dead to sin, we need to, be in, we need to tell our mind, we need to tell our, our soul that, that you are dead to sin. I don't care what you feel, I don't care what you want, I don't care what you desire, you are dead to sin. Reckon yourself dead to sin. I don't care if you feel like it or not. This is a true fact, the word reckon, to think or suppose something, to believe that something is true. Do you believe that God's word is true? If so, and you're here, and you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are dead to sin. It no longer lives in you. You're alive in Christ. But we have to reckon ourselves. Can I just tell you, I reckon my bank accounts. I'm really picky about that. And so I, I, I reckon or I settle my bank account. I compare them to the statement when it comes in the mail. And, and if they don't match up, I don't believe my checking account. I don't believe my ledger. I believe the statement because I know it's true coming from the bank. And so I compare my checking account, my ledger to the statement and I say, oh, they don't match up. I'm going to believe the statement not my ledger. And so I go back to my ledger and I try to find the error. I try to find the place where I messed up. And the Bible says that we need to reckon ourselves dead to sin. This is a truth based solely on the word of God. It's not that you're gonna feel different. It's not that you, 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 you don't, you're gonna wanna behave different. It's that you need to reckon yourself. You need to settle it in your mind. You need to compare it to the statement, <laughs> the word of God that says you are dead to sin. And even though your behavior is not matching up, it's like my ledger. Doesn't matter if my behavior matches up or not. I need to consider and settle it and, and make up my mind that I'm dead to sin and correct the error. I need to look at my life and say, okay, where am I not dead to sin? What does God's word say about it? And I need to reckon myself dead to sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that word means to consider and keep before you at all times. You see, it's not enough to just declare that we are new creations and dead to sin. Most of you can quote that scripture. That is not enough. We have to embrace the truth behind it. We have to embrace the concept and begin to walk it out. We are without excuse. We have the grace of God inside us, empowering us to do it. And we must let the belief that we have been reckoned dead to sin begin to motivate behavior in us. To keep sinning is counter to the new, new creation, the new nature that's inside of each one of us. And we've got to decide that the realization of who I am in Christ, I will now become it. I will walk it out intentionally. And I do that by putting off the old and putting on the new. Belief begets behavior. I have a new nature in Christ, but I have to choose to yield to it and not to the flesh. 
I have to stop feeding my flesh. Can I just tell you, my sweet daughter Kendall is here tonight, and, and I'm intentional about feeding Kendall well. I want her to grow properly. I want her brain to function at high capacity. I want her to have energy, so I feed her, and I'm watching her grow and grow and grow into this beautiful young woman. And that's what we do to the flesh. We feed it. Anything you feed grows. Anything you starve dies. And we've got to choose to start starving the flesh. That's why I push fasting so much in our, in our study. Because if I learn that I can starve my flesh and say no for a piece of pizza or say no to, to a chocolate milkshake, I can certainly learn to say no to anger then. If I start small with that one, I can certainly then learn to, to start mastering the sin in my life and saying no to my flesh. But we need to starve our flesh. Anything you feed will grow. And putting off the old man doesn't just mean stopping a behavior. When you put it off, you put something back on. We need to put off the corruptible, which is liable to corruption, and put on the new. But this is what we do. We want both. We, we, we know that the old is gone, the new has come, but we still want to lug this thing around. We still want to entertain it. We still, we still want to be buddies with it. Oh, sometimes it's back here and we're not looking at it all the time. Uh, we have a friend in our family who, who was a mortician, and he embalmed the bodies of, of his uh, clients <laughs> in his basement. The house that he lived in, the funeral parlor was connected to it, and so in the basement of his home is where he embalmed all of his de dead bodies. And, and he tells stories about how every once in a while he would get down on the table, the dead body would be on the table, and he'd be ready to embalm it, and all of a sudden an arm would fly up. Now, I don't know about you, but I would pee my pants and run right out of there. But, but not him. He, he knew that that was dead flesh. And so he just slapped that arm right back on the table. He knew it didn't have any power. It wasn't going to hurt him. It didn't have any power over him. He slapped the thing back down on the table because he knew it was dead flesh. And you and I need to slap that flesh back down on the table. But we just want to cart it around and, and you know, still have it there just in case we want to tap into it, just in case we want to use it. And then it pops its head up, and it pops its arm up, and it wants attention. I want some attention. I want some attention. Would you give me some attention? Hello, Rita. I need some attention. I'm dead to sin. But I want some attention. Could you give me some attention? I want to have my own way. Okay, I'll dance with you. What do you want? Well, that person was really mean to us, Rhea. Let's get mad and lose our temper. I'm dead to sin. A man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Oh, come on, Rhea. They were really mean to you. Don't you want to be mean back? Rawr! boy, that woman is really beautiful, and I want to sneak a look. And that computer screen is calling my name, and I'm really feeling kind of lonely and not noticed, and I'd like to look at pornography online, but I know that I need to flee from sexual morality. Flee, flee, flee from sexual morality. Come on, Rhea, you're entitled, you're entitled. You want to look, you want to look. I'm dead to sin. I'm going to flee from sexual immorality. 
Aren't you a little worried about that thing? What's going to happen? Aren't you afraid? What if they reject you? They don't like you. They don't like you. They don't like you. You're so different. They don't like you. Do you know that they don't like you? They don't like me. They don't like me. I think I'm going to... I lost my wig. I think we're going to be rejected. Yes, you're going to be rejected. And you go run in fear. And you treat them mean because they're treating you mean. And yes, you're going to be rejected. I'm going to put on love is what I'm going to do because my old man is dead. I am accepted in the beloved and dearly loved. I don't need the approval of man. I need the approval of God. And I seek that. And I am going to put off the old man. And I'm going to put on the new. Do I need to keep going? Did you get my point? Anybody have another behavior you wanna, want me to address here before I put her off? Do you see? It's like my, the, this mortician friend of mine, it's dead, but man, does it act alive. And we need to slap that thing down. We need to say, this is put off. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm reckoning myself dead. I don't react the same way I used to react. I'm not going to live the same way I used to live. We need to treat this thing like an intruder in our home. If I went home tonight and there was an intruder there, I would not embrace him and say, hey, welcome to my house. I'm so glad you're here. I would put that thing out. I'd call the authorities and put them out. And we need to treat sin like an unwelcome intruder in our home. Instead, we take orders from it. Can I tell you, you no longer live. Christ lives in you. Consider yourself dead to sin. Sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Can I tell you, death is stinky. Today, I went down uh, stairs. We have a guinea pig. And um, I really like to give her treats because she, like, chirps, and she just, she's so sweet. And this morning, I go just trotting down the basement stairs, and I'm like, Sibby, I have a treat. Cleo, I have a treat for you. And I'm like, I'm just waiting for her to chirp, and she didn't chirp. And I got to the bottom of the steps and I looked over at her pen and she was laying flat. And she had died in the middle of the night. And I went over to touch her and she was hard as a rock. And I called Dave and I'm like, Dave, Cleo died. How are we going to tell Kendall? And, you know, I, I, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to put her out in the garage. I don't want it all stinking. And he's like, Rhea, you have to let her there till Kendall gets home from school. And I'm like, Dave, it's going to start stinking. I don't want that stink. Death stinks. Can I tell you, death is stinky. And see, some of us are carrying around death. And it's heavy and it's burdensome. And, and, it, and it's really, it's not nice. And we're dragging that filth everywhere we go, and it's stinky. People can look at you, I promise you. People can look at you and say, um, do you, she might be saying she's a Christian here, but it's stinky. I smell something. It's because you're lugging around death. You're lugging around death. And we need to put it off. We need to put it off and reckon ourselves dead. You say, well, Rhea, I'm going to mess up. Yes, you are. We won't be perfect till we get to heaven, but church, we've stopped even trying. The Bible says to aim for, for, 
for perfection. Dave and I love to go um, uh, shooting. We like to go to the shooting range. I like to go to the shooting range. I'm pretty good. And when I go shoot a nine millimeter, I don't aim over here. I look at the target and I aim for the bullseye. I'm really disappointed when I don't hit it. And I'm super disappointed when it's way off the charts and it doesn't even get the, you know, the little target anywhere. But I aim. I may not be absolutely perfect, but I'm aiming for the right thing. And occasionally I hit the target. And you and I need to start aiming for perfection. Are we going to achieve it? Absolutely, positively not. Until the, until the corruptible is overcome by the incorruptible and the mortal by, by immortality. But we need to start aiming. We should look different than the unbeliever down the street. Look at those passages tonight in, in Colossians 3 and in Ephesians 4 that talk about what it looks like to put on the new man. Looks like things like kindness, forgiveness, getting rid of bitterness, goodness. Please get rid of bitterness. There's nothing anybody could ever do to you that's worth lugging that thing around. You talk about a weight. Unforgiveness is a weight. Let me tell you, I experienced it just recently. Unforgiveness, when you choose to lug that thing around, come on, Rhea, you're entitled. Come on. You are entitled to that. Look at what they did to you. And don't, get, don't let go of it because if you forgive them, they'll hurt you again. Okay, I'm going to be unforgiving. I'm not going to be kind because I have a right. I have a right. Trust me, it is a burden you don't want to carry. When I was asking Karen and, and, and Leslie to find me a blow-up doll, Leslie said, Rhea, how about a mannequin? I know where we can get a mannequin. And I was like, that thing will be too heavy on my neck. I can't have a mannequin but I should have, because you should see the weight. Because when you lug that stuff with you, there is a weight. I promise you, unforgiveness is a weight. And the Bible says, throw off everything that hinders. That thing is gonna hinder you. Bitterness, dear one, I hate, to, I hate to tell you, but that person who hurt you 30 years ago is still hurting you. Throw that thing off, reckon yourself dead to it. Anger, rage, I promise you, it's ugly. You do not, you wanna reflect Christ, the imprint, you've been sealed, imprint it with his image. People can't see it if you're raging and full of anger. Fear and anxiety. Do you know that he's not given you a spirit of fear? And that you need to not be anxious about anything, but through prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and he will in turn guard, garrison, surround your, your heart and mind with peace that passes all understanding. He'll put peace soldiers all around you. We are without excuse. We don't need to carry anxiety and fear. That is not, that's, that's the old man. The new man doesn't have that, I promise you. Malice and slander and gossip and criticism, come on. That does not make you look like you have the imprint. Why do we do that? Is it really that much fun that you want to mar that image? Do you know that when you stand with somebody and you say, and I heard she did this, and can you believe she did this? I can't even believe she did that. Do you know what that sounds like? We are new creations. We don't do that garbage. We don't get sucked into that trap. We don't get caught in that snare. I forgot one. 
let's get drunk because you need to numb that pain. Let's get high as a kite so you don't have to think about that pain anymore. Let's go gamble. Let's go eat and stuff our face so we don't feel pain anymore because that's our comfort. He is my comforter. He is my deliverer. He is my redeemer. He is the great I am. Everything that I have need of, no bottle can provide, no drug can provide, no food will numb. I promise you, he is the great I am. Everything we have need of, he is. Put that garbage off that we turn to instead of turning to him because it's a trap, it's a snare, and we can be delivered from those things. But we've got to make the choice to walk out of it. We have been, we're in a dungeon that was a dungeon of sin. We were slaves to sin, but we are no longer slaves to sin. But the dungeon doors have been opened, the, the shackles have been removed, but we have got to make the choice to walk out of the dungeon. We want God. God, could you just zap me? Could you just take this anger away? God, could you just zap me and, and help me not to be so mean? Oh, God, could you just zap me and, and break this addiction in my life? Oh, God, could you just zap me and, and make me not afraid? No. Walk out of the dungeon. Walk out, because everything you need, everything I need, I'm preaching to myself tonight, everything I need for life and godliness is in me. I am a new creation. I have a spirit that's been born again. I'm telling you, I am not who I used to be. The old is gone and the new has come. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so, Father, we just thank you. We thank you that the old is gone from people tonight. I, I want you to just stand to your feet. We thank you, Father, that the old is gone. The old is gone. And I pray that tonight, Lord God, the realization of that fact would, would just uh, ring true in the, 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 the lives of every person here. Lord, that they would realize that they can now reckon themselves. They can settle it in their mind that sin no longer has dominion over us. That we are no longer slaves to sin. That we can't serve two masters, Lord. That we can't serve you and sin. And so, Lord God, I thank you that everything we need. I thank you, Father, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That when we trip up and fall, the same grace that saved us is there to pick us back up. And Lord God, we just thank you for that. We thank you that you don't keep a record of our our wrongs but father i thank you that you have given us all we need all we need to walk out a life of righteousness and holiness and godliness now we love you lord and we give you such glory and honor and praise for all that you did for us on the cross of Calvary. We thank you that we are joint heirs with you, that everything you, you received at the resurrection, Lord God, we have in Christ. And we just thank you for it, Lord. Teach us how to access that. Teach us how to tap into that, Lord. And most of all, Lord God, teach us how to walk according to your spirit and not according to the flesh, Lord God. Bless every person here, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One last thing I want you to see. I completely forgot, and as I was praying, the Lord just reminded me, so I want you to see it. If you turn over to Jeremiah, just very quickly, Jeremiah 2, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, 
go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel, us, was holy to the Lord, the first fruit of his harvest. Skipping down to verse 4, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did you find in me that you strayed so far from me? You followed worthless idols and became worthless yourself. Verse 12, be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I read that today, and, and, I, and he says, Israel is holy to the Lord. You were holy to the Lord. What happened? What fault did you find in me that you could walk away and follow after worthless idols, after the things in this world? Why would you forsake your first love? Why would you leave me behind and go chase after the things of this world? Why would you take the bait and get trapped in it and chase after those things instead of being holy unto me and instead of, of being devoted and loyal to me? What fault did you find in me that you could be lured away from that? And instead, you have built yourself cisterns broken cisterns that can hold no water. But you've forsaken me, the spring of living water. That's a picture of life just bubbling out of you. And a spring, I promise you, you can't stop it. I, I lived in rural Pennsylvania growing up, and my grandmother used to take us up into the mountains, and she would take bucket, little like milk jugs, and she would fill them up with spring water because there's nothing better than spring water. It's so refreshing, and it's so cold, and it's so pure. And I was a little girl, I would try to step on it and, and like stick a rock in it and we would try to stop up these springs. But I, I, I'm just telling you, you can't stop up a spring. It will bubble out over whatever you try to stop it up with. And he said, I'm a spring of living water. I'm a spring. And you have chased after and, and pursued uh, cisterns that can't even hold any water. They're broken. There's no life in those things. You've taken the bait that this thing could bring you more life than me. And now you're trapped. Just cry out because I'll deliver you. Can I tell you, church, there's nothing worth chasing after. I've tried pretty much everything. There's, there's very little that you could say, Rhea, what about this? That I couldn't say, hey, been there, done that. Got the t-shirt, don't do it. Because there's only one spring of living water, and his name is Jesus. There's only one source of life, and his name is Jesus. Stay in the secret place with him. Stay in that place of protection from corruption, the Zebart place that we find in Psalm 91. And he'll deliver you from those traps. You won't get caught in them anymore. You won't be unaware of the enemy's schemes in that place. 
Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead will be living inside of you. You'll be tapping into that day in and day out. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ. Christ.